Hello and welcome to episode number 23 of the Know Your Physio podcast. I'm your host, Andres Prushel, and today's guest is Dr. Aza Halim, who's an MD with an extremely unique perspective that blends Eastern and Western medicine. We had the chance to take a deep dive on several topics in this episode, but there is so much more to learn from Aza. So please reach out with any questions and we'll be sure to address them in a future episode. With that said, let's go ahead and jump right in. We hope that you guys enjoy the show. Hello, my dear listeners, ladies and gentlemen. I have some exciting news, exciting update. The folks at Bioptimizers have truly outdone themselves with this new and improved formula for magnesium breakthrough. The best magnesium supplement on the market just got even better because it now contains cofactors like vitamin B6 and manganese to improve the bioavailability of magnesium. So for those of you who don't know what bioavailability means, It means that what you're introducing to your body is actually getting used up in a functional way to give you the effects that you're looking for. And with a lot of magnesium supplements, you don't have very good bioavailability. And on top of that, you only have one species of magnesium. Bioptimizers has seven different species of magnesium to support over 80% of your body's metabolic reactions, which are thousands. And now you really get to capitalize on all the incredible benefits of magnesium supplementation because we simply don't get enough through our diets nowadays. And if you want to learn more about that, by the way, tune into episode number 56 of my podcast with Wade Lightheart, one of the co-founders of Bioptimizers to learn more. So for folks who are looking to support their health and wellness and manage stress, uh, reduce anxiety, support a nice, calm, stable mood, get deeper, more restorative sleep, support tremendous energy throughout the day, I highly recommend that you take magnesium magnesium breakthrough that is on a daily basis. If I had to choose one supplement to take for the rest of my life every single day, it would be this one. I managed to get everything else that I need through my diet, all my macro and micronutrients, but because of the soil that we have today, we simply don't get the magnesium that we're supposed to be getting. And with our modern environments, it really helps to get enough magnesium. So I always like to go with the best, the purest, the safest, and the most bioavailable, which is why I choose magnesium breakthrough. So if you want to get your hands on some of this amazing, amazing stuff, go to magbreakthrough.com slash undress. That's M-A-G-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H.com slash undress, magbreakthrough.com slash undress, and use code undress, A-N-D-R-E-S, during checkout to save 10% and get free shipping. Or simply scroll down to the show notes section of this episode on the preferred platform that you're currently tuning in from, and you'll see a link directly to checkout, which you can use right now before we start the show. Oh, and dare I mention that this is an incredible gift for your friends, family, and loved ones because it shows them that their health and wellness is in your best interest? Yes, it's true. In fact, I have my family set up on automatic deliveries on a monthly basis on my mother's credit card because it's really the intention that counts. And you too can be intentional with your gift by giving the gift of Magnesium Breakthrough. So anyway, go ahead and use code UNDRESS at checkout magbreakthrough.com slash undress. Hope that you guys enjoy. And now let's go ahead and get started with the show. Okay. So here we are. 
We're here with Dr. Aza Halim, a board-certified anesthesiologist with a broad background in the anti-aging field through her work with a wide range of surgeons, dermatologists, and functional medicine specialists who have trained her extensively all over the world. Her aim is to create and implement an overall plan that will enable the patient to achieve a complete lasting rejuvenation by focusing on one's internal health to complement external beauty. And I know her through my dad, who's an eye surgeon, that says she's the best anesthesiologist he's ever worked with for the past 18 years. So here we are. Welcome to the show, Dr. Aza. Thank you very much, Andres. And I appreciate the intro and I appreciate you having me on your podcast. So thank you to your father as well. And yes, I've worked with him for 18 years, which has been fantastic. He is definitely an amazing surgeon. And basically, it's been an interesting journey for me over the past 20 years as far as my healthcare and medical career. Yeah. And I know that you have extensive training in a number of different fields, You know, definitely some overlap. But first of all, I want to ask, why do you do what you do and how are the shifts in your careers a reflection of that? So let's just start a little bit more detail about my background because I know, as you had said, it's extensive. So yes, I'm a board certified anesthesiologist. I did all my training at Northwestern University in Chicago, which was a fantastic experience. Uh, I've also traveled all over the world. But when I first started my career as a physician, I went into medicine and then I wasn't sure what specialty I was going to go into. And then my interest was really in how medications work on the body and how the body works on medicine. So I went and pursued actually a research fellowship in pharmacokinetics, pharmacodynamics, which was very interesting, was very helpful. And that's when I also decided that I wanted to go into the world of anesthesia because the world of anesthesia is not just about putting patients to sleep. It's really about taking the whole entire body into consideration, every organ system. So it's all about pathophysiology, which was something that's very interesting to me as well, just because I was always, even during college and before medical school, I was very into the nutrition and wellness and exercise for myself and for friends and family. So I used to enjoy doing that. I used to actually train people on the side, even when I was during an undergrad and then even during my early years of medical school. So I got that experience, that exposure. I also decided then to go ahead and do a externship in the UK, in London, whereby I was able to take a look at how they actually practice medicine, even though it's socialized medicine. And it was able to open up my eyes as to how other countries, other cultures and societies approach medicine, their lifestyles, and so forth. So I did that for a couple of years. I did my research fellowship. And I went ahead and went into doing my internship in internal medicine, and then I went to anesthesia. I subspecialized in my fellowship training for critical care trauma, which was a big, huge adrenaline surge, but that's another area with the ICU and the trauma and critical care. You do have to take the whole body into consideration and every organ system. You can't piecemeal things. I also did a fellowship in pediatrics as well as pain management. Once I got into all of that and then I saw the different areas in medicine, and was able to integrate all of that together. I then also moved to South Florida. When I moved to South Florida, I was very fortunate enough to be working with one of the top integrative medicine docs in Florida, as well as aesthetics with the surgeons that I was with in the operating room. And then I said to myself, okay, how can I actually integrate and incorporate everything all together? That was part of my journey as to what got me to where I am now. So believe it or not, I actually started in the whole functional medicine world. And then I added aesthetics. Most people think that the aesthetics came first, and that's actually not true because the functional medicine literally 
transition seamlessly with what I was doing anyways as an anesthesiologist, because in anesthesia, we do have to pre-op the patients. We have to optimize the patients for the surgeons. We have to take a look at every organ system that they have from cardiac to pulmonary to you name it, as well as their medication list and integrate all that together to see if they're optimized for surgery or not, which is really not much different if you think about it from the functional medicine world. But the difference is that functional medicine, what I love, and I like to say East meets West, is more of a preventative, okay? It's a preventative lifestyle. And I think one of the things that we lack now is training people, educating people, and educating the masses on how to prevent disease and illness rather than let's wait till somebody gets sick, then let's figure out a solution or a cure. The other thing that I learned in the UK was instead of relying on a lot of just lab ordering tests and scans, let's look at the patient, let's assess the patient, Let's make a proper diagnosis, only order tests that we need in order to find the true diagnosis, as opposed to treating the numbers, we're treating the patient. Wow. And so it goes without saying, I mean, you have such a unique perspective. It's rare, but I'm wondering, is there anything perhaps in your life, any event, something that occurred that motivated you to pursue this extensive experience? Like, is this something that's very personal to you? Why did it call to you so deeply? So I had a passion for all of that for several reasons. Number one, I actually saw certain friends that had certain ailments or illnesses that I thought were too young to be going through this. And I was constantly arguing with them as to their dietary, eating, nutrition lifestyle, their sedentary lifestyle. The other thing too is that when I moved to South Florida, seeing my nephews and seeing how they were growing up and what they were being exposed to, what they were being taught and not taught, I took it upon myself to able to actually enhance their lifestyle by not enforcing, but integrating for them and slowly getting them into the health and nutrition world as well and getting them with personal trainers and proper nutrition and diet. And now that I look retrospectively and look back and now I look forward, now that they're grown, they went to college, they're working, they're very grateful for the fact that I was able to implement an early on healthy lifestyle for them, which now they've incorporated into their daily routine. Also, the other thing too is that something that's dear and near to me as well is my mother was also diagnosed with breast cancer. So this was something that also at the time when she was diagnosed, I was able to help in the diagnosis of her breast cancer, which was caught very early on. I was not very pro-chemo or radiation, and luckily she did not have to go through that. And even though sometimes that is being pushed, you have to make sure that it's for the proper indication. Right. And don't get me wrong. I'm not against prescription medications. I'm not against proper chemo, therapeutics, whatever that medicine needs. And trust me, one of my cousins is an oncologist, okay? So we do have physicians in the family. We have all kinds of specialists in the family. But the thing is that you have to truly, like I said, find the proper diagnosis and see if this is a true indication of this is a true treatment that somebody needs. Because I find all too often Nowadays, unfortunately, healthcare has become so easy for us to just make a quick generic diagnosis and then give everybody a generic treatment. And this is the reason as part of my bio, as you saw, one size does not fit all. Okay. Doesn't matter what age you are. Doesn't matter if you're looking at a functional medicine or aesthetic standpoint. I do customize every single thing for every single patient. And in the functional medicine world, it also allowed me to take a look at subspecialty testing for my patients. Because if you think about it, We're trained in medicine, in traditional medicine. 
you order certain specific labs, SMA, CBCs, and so forth, to look at same lipid profile, thyroid panels. One of the biggest things, which I know this is kind of going off topic, is if we take a look at the population now, especially in females, a lot of women are not being diagnosed with Hashimoto's and some are overdiagnosed or underdiagnosed or it's being missed because everyone's getting tested for just basic thyroid panels. And the patient's thyroid labs may all look normal, but if you don't do the subclinical subspecialty testing, you will miss that diagnosis and the patients continue to complain of their symptoms. So in my practice, I have been able to actually take a look because I understand those subspecialty tests, order those for my patients and get them on the right track even from a hormonal profile, from a metabolic nutrient profile. And I'm able to incorporate, integrate all that as well with nutrition, exercise, which I know your background is exercise physiology, which I think is fantastic because this is something that we definitely need to add into healthcare. Well, I have so many questions for you. The first (laughs) thing I want to ask you is, so you pursued this extensive training, but you always had this intention to properly diagnose the people that you cared about. And I'm wondering, if you were working with people early on in your career before you had this extensive background, how were you able to meet that intention with the right approach early on? And did you know back then that you wanted to pursue this path and those specific specialties? Like, Did you feel that unless you did, you would be limited in your ability to help people, the people you cared about? So the thing is this, and I think medicine has come a long way, even the world of functional medicine. So when I was in training and when I did my internship, obviously in internal medicine, we learned traditional medicine. And as I mentioned earlier, when I went to the UK, it was very big eye-opener to see how they approached it because that was more of a functional integrative medicine approach, which I thought was fantastic. As far as the certain subspecialty lab testing, I don't think back then they were available, but I do think that our approach was back then available because if you think about it too, ancient Chinese medicine and any of the actual, as I said, East meets West, if you think about even acupuncture, even if you think about yoga, those are certain treatments or lifestyles that are incorporated that basically do have benefits. Because also if you think about it in the world of anesthesia and the history of anesthesia, And I know it sounds crazy, but you'll look at textbooks and you'll see about the history of how they used to do surgery with acupuncture before anesthesia was ever developed or these medications or drugs came into play. And I know people think that's crazy. And this is the reason sometimes when I say to patients, oh, instead of having general anesthesia, you should have local or you should have twilight. Okay. And people look at me like I'm crazy. And I'm thinking like, you don't really need heavy duty anesthesia unless it's a properly indicated surgery. Of course, I'm not saying to be awake for every single procedure and you have to take into consideration patients' anxiety levels and if they're going to be able to tolerate it and so forth and all the stress factors that are involved and also the patient's condition. That being said, is that, like I said, East and West medicine has always been actually linked, if you think about it. So this is the reason when you're taking a look at the different testing, the difference is that I don't think a lot of us had that awareness back then. I did not know about all these specialty testing. I did not know about what was available until I continued to pursue and research and work with other people in different areas, which, as I said, was a very big eye-opener, and I'm very grateful to that. So... I mean, you're a one-man army. Like people in the medical field, they will specialize, right? And maybe they discover that perhaps there's another extension to the treatment that they can provide and the care they can provide. But what they do is they outsource that to another specialist, right? And they work together as a team. And it seems to me like you've, with your experience, seeing some of these gaps in healthcare or in diagnosing, et cetera, 
instead of reaching out to other people, I mean, I know that you work with the team, but you wanted to take this on yourself. You wanted to pursue this on your own because you wanted to see the big picture first on the front lines. Correct. Right. And do you think that this is something that most doctors can do? Do you think that this is a rare case? Like, What would you attribute this ability to? I mean, you're obviously extremely intelligent, driven, and passionate, but do you think that this is something that other doctors can and should do for their patients? I think it's something that's definitely achievable. I think it's about what, as you just said, the individual's passion. I do also have to get credit to my ICU critical care training because back in the day in my training years, how ICU was, it was a closed unit as opposed to an open unit. And what that means is that, as you just said, outsourcing or triaging or referring to other specialists how we were trained in critical care was that you don't do that, that basically a patient comes in and I was responsible for overseeing all the different surgical ICUs and trauma units that I had to take it upon myself to actually manage all those patients and not outsource and not refer or triage unless it was absolutely necessary. So I think this was actually a great experience in my training, and I'm grateful for that because it forced me to take a look at everything as a whole and figure out, okay, what is the problem list? What is the differential? What is the diagnosis? Can I manage it or do I need someone else's help? And this all, once again, just ties into the whole functional medicine world. I don't say that, okay, everybody has to go get critical care fellowship trained, okay, in order to have that experience. But what I'm just saying is that I think anybody in any field nowadays, if they want to take it upon themselves and actually delve into the world of functional medicine or integrative medicine, as they call it, and I think a lot of programs are starting to actually add that into some of the residency training programs, which is great. I think this is where you have to take that experience and training in order to be able to bring everything together and offer that to your patients. And I think when you do that, you will have a better picture for your patient care. And I, for me, my goal was, and as my patients know, is that I want to be able to offer my patients under one roof an entire wellness picture. And that's why then with the whole wellness and functional medicine, I was able to also integrate the aesthetic because Beauty starts from the inside, not just oh coming in and doing some Botox fillers, lasers. That's fantastic. But even when it comes to that, I always start also with skincare. Now, one of the other things that most people don't realize, for example, and this has now become very big in you know literature and social media, is our gut microbiome, how it affects our brain health, how it ties into the gut-brain axis, how it ties into our skin microbiome. And this is something that's been very interesting, and I think it's been studied for years, but only now are we here in the United States starting to catch on to that. So that's actually a perfect segue into my next few questions. I I wanted to ask you about how to develop beauty internally. Can you help my audience understand the importance of the relationship between internal beauty for external, more material beauty? Like, What can we do internally? to look better on the outside? So several things. And this is something that when I explain to my patients, because when they come in and I do their intake form and questionnaire and all that, I take into consideration their lifestyle, their daily routine, their work, because stressors come into play. So internal health reflects on your external. This is the reason when you're tired, you're stressed, you're malnourished, you're eating a lot of junk food, high sugar intake, all of that it does reflect on your skin. And as we already know, especially with people that complain of whether it's cystic acne, hormonal acne, puberty acne, whatever it is, 
it is definitely about hygiene, but it's also definitely about your gut microbiome as well as your lifestyle. And why is that? Because a couple of things. Number one, uh, when you're stressed, your skin's going to show it. When you're not eating properly and eating a lot of junk food, you will get breakouts. If you're eating processed foods, that's going to show as well. So the internal health reflects on our skin, reflects on our glow, as I call it. So your glow comes from within. This is the same thing like I know patients think sometimes I'm crazy when I say to them, okay, are you taking fish oil? And they look at me like, well, why is fish oil related to my skin? Right. Believe it or not, fish oil helps maintain your moisture, hydration, and your skin elasticity. And you do have to take it internally. It's not just slapping a bunch of creams on your face, okay? Right. Because if you do not have proper hydration, proper nutrition, Proper exercise, because even exercise affects your skin health. And why is that? Because of circulation and blood flow. This is something that's very important. All the cells in our body need all of that. And also, as you probably may know, your skin is the biggest organ in your body, actually. People don't look at the skin as an organ. It actually is an organ. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. If you don't feed that organ properly, guess what? It's going to suffer. And when it suffers, this is going to reflect on you. No matter how many treatments or whatever stuff you're doing on the outside, it's not going to look the same. Right. I've become throughout the years increasingly fascinated by the relationship between autonomic nervous system function and how I literally look and feel as a whole. You know, one thing that I've noticed is I would say that my lifestyle is pretty low stress, but occasionally stress comes up. And I see it, I can see it on my face. I can see it when I wake up in the morning. My forehead, for example, I'll, I'll get some acne in my forehead. And it's interesting because it's in these periods of stress, in these moments of stress and increased sympathetic activity where you're more prone to make poor decisions about improper nutrition and processed foods and such. And, you know, of course, this leads to massive glycemic variability and decreases your gut microbiome diversity and it, and it takes its toll. And it's incredible how these things can compound with time if they're not addressed correctly at the source. And this is why I'm so fascinated in the functional medicine approach. I wanted to ask you a little more about the fish oil and the skin. I actually wanted to ask you about cholesterol and how does cholesterol play a role in skin health? Because a lot of people will take, for example, fish oil, not just for their skin, but to improve their lipid profiles, right? To decrease their triglycerides, boost HDL and such. But what about adding in cholesterol and consuming cholesterol from animal products? How does that influence our skin? And do we need some of it to really promote the best skin health overall? Yeah. So that's a great question because patients all the time, a lot of times uh, when you try to incorporate a healthy lifestyle, they think they need to go on a fat-free diet or a carb-free diet, or they need to stop eating this or stop eating that. And I have never been a believer of cutting out any entire food group because your body needs nutrients from every food group. I think one of the biggest problems in our food groups is the toxicity, the processing, the genetic modification, and this is where the problem comes in. So animal fats are necessary because it's also been proven over and over again, even from a scientific standpoint, not just from a functional medicine, because I know some people believe functional medicine and they call it holistic or they call it whatever they want to call it. And you know what? I don't try to brainwash anybody. I just try to share knowledge and information and education for the masses. And it's up to them and up to each individual to make their assessment and decision. And then to, the proof is in the pudding, right? So one of the things is that if you're eating healthy fats, you definitely need it for brain function. You need it for hormone production. This is animal like I've fat. Seen, yes. Right. Okay. Because you do need your protein and fat source from animal, not just from vegetable. Okay. I understand some people, and I actually believe it or not, this is very interesting. So I had a patient 
and this is of course you know not naming a patient i looked at her profile because she kept on saying to she's a complete vegetarian she eats no carbs no fats pure vegetables salads and all of that and she started having hair loss um she was having all kinds of problems with her menstrual cycle and so forth and i said to her okay she's like but my labs look all normal I said, okay, let's just go ahead and do some specialty lab testing because I can tell you right now without me testing you that I know it's a nutritional deficiency because you're not getting the proper nutrients from this deprivation of animal fat and deprivation of consuming enough nutrients. And this is where also sometimes people say, well, I live on a whole food diet. I don't need supplements. Well, it depends because unfortunately in this day and age, None of us have enough time, the lifestyle, or maybe the means to be able to live on a proper, organic, non-GMO, whole food diet where we're consuming enough of everything every day. So we sometimes may need some supplementation, okay? But we need proper supplementation, and we need to make sure what nutrients we're getting are not just packaged nutrients, okay? So I took a look at her labs. I had her do the subspecialty testing, and sure enough, what did it show? She was very low in her vitamin D3 because obviously she wasn't getting enough of that, okay? Her cholesterol, believe it or not, even though she's on pure vegetarian diet, was actually elevated. Her A1C was elevated, even though she eats no sugars, no carbs. Because don't forget, you also, just like you have negative feedback inhibition, and you understand this in the pathophysiology and physiology science standpoint, is that you can go ahead and overdo something, and then that shuts down your body, and it forces your body to start producing its own because your body is craving and crying out for certain nutrients, certain responses, just like your parasympathetic and sympathetic when they kick in to balance each other out. If you burn one out, the other one doesn't respond sometimes, correct? So I said to her, okay, here's how we have to modify your diet. You're going to have to start eating healthy fats. You're going to have to incorporate and add some olive oil. You're going to need to eat some red meat. You're going to need to eat some animal fat. You need to add certain healthy carbs because she freaked out. And I said to her, okay, no one is telling you to go eat junk food. I'm not going to tell you go eat a hot dog, okay? I'm telling you to eat grass-fed, healthy red meat. I'm not telling you to eat it every day because people worry about the inflammatory response. But what I'm telling you to do is incorporate every single food group and product into your diet on a moderate basis and make sure it's non-GMO, grass-fed, and it's not processed. The problem that people get into is when they start eating cold cuts, processed meats, okay, packaged goods, junk food, unhealthy saturated fats. So this is the reason When it comes to healthy fats, you need it for your skin, you need it for your brain health, you need it for your hormone production, Yeah, regardless of your age. Absolutely. Thank you for that description and for sharing that experience with your patient. And one thing that I want to add, and I'll link to this in the show notes, is there's actually been big studies done where people will follow a low-fat diet and they actually end up replacing those calories with carbs and they overconsume carbohydrate. And that actually turns into endogenously produced saturated fat, palmitic saturated fat, which is the most highly linked to cardiovascular disease. And so, man, it's like people that are following low-fat diets are going vegetarian because they assume, hey, it's lower in fat, better for me. They end up not only suffering with deficiencies like you stated, but they'll see actually an increase. They can't see an increased incidence of disease. The next thing that I wanted to ask you is actually a little more about saturated fat and skin. And I'm going to make a transition here to sunlight in just a moment, but I want to ask you, what kind of role does saturated fat play in our skin health? 
So we need a balance of saturated and, you know, as you know, there's different types of saturated fats. It does help as far as your lipid balance in your skin, because don't forget your skin has lipids. Okay. When your skin starts losing collagen elasticity, hyaluronic acid, hydration, this is the reason too, when people say, Oh, I keep on putting moisturizer and my skin's still dry. And I find that nine out of 10 times or probably 10 out of 10 times because they're not drinking enough water. Okay. The same thing applies to your saturated fat. Because at the end of the day, your skin needs that fat for the lipid barrier as well, okay? Which we have a lipid barrier in our skin, as you know. So the thing is when people say to me, oh, well, I'm eating a fat-free diet and I'm avoiding all saturated fats and I'm doing this and I'm doing this. And I said, to them, this is the reason your skin is dry, your skin is dehydrated and your skin is suffering and it's parched, okay? Because you need a balance of internal hydration, not just putting moisturizer or hydration on the surface. You need saturated fats. You need, let me emphasize once again, healthy fats, okay? Because sometimes people take it upon themselves just like with the whole keto diet, which is a big trend. People think a keto diet, just like with the Atkins diet, is, oh, I can eat all protein, high fat, and not worry about having a heart attack. That's incorrect, okay? The whole reason and the whole premise of all those diets is focused on healthy fats, okay? And the keto diet is beneficial for certain people and certain things, just as we know it's great for a seizure disorder when you go into ketosis and so forth. But at the end of the day, I find that people overdo it. Just like also, and I don't know, you maybe beg to differ with me on this, intermittent fasting. So intermittent fasting, people I was find about to it. Ask oh. you. <laughs> so intermittent fasting, I think is great for the right people. And I'll tell you why. There is literature that has shown for women versus men, and I think this is where people take it to the other extreme. Everyone says do a 16 to 18 hour fast or do a 24 hour fast. You can't do that and it's not sustainable to do every single day. Your body needs a break from that, okay? Because if you overdo anything, you're putting a stressor. When you put a stressor on your body, what happens? You shoot up cortisol. When you shoot up cortisol, that's not healthy. That's going to increase your risk of heart disease, atherosclerosis, right? Stroke and every negative impact from a healthcare standpoint, right? Right. It so does put you in a more sympathetic state. Fasting does. So there are a lot of people that I've worked with actually are so stressed that although fasting technically can be healthy and a good alternative and a good implement in their lifestyle, they're just in such a chronic sympathetic state that the fasting actually will work against them. Correct. And that's an excellent point. This is the reason. And also, by the way, it does affect your hormone production, especially for females. If women, and this has been shown also in the literature, a female should, if she's going to do intermittent fasting, whether it's for health reasons or for weight loss, what you need to do is you need to do an eight to 12 hour fast. Sometimes you can go up to 14 hours, but you should not exceed 14 hours as a female. Now, men, the ideal is 14 to 16 hours. Now, there are some men that will do 18 to 24 and they think more is better. And I always say, listen, moderation is the best thing. Sometimes less is more. Okay. And the reason too is because you have to moderate things and you have to see and assess how your body responds to this intermittent fasting. Just like you said, if you're putting yourself into a hypersympathetic state and you're overstressing this intermittent fasting, then you need to cut back. You need to take a look. You need to say, okay, maybe I'll do it two, three times a week. Maybe I'll just do a 12 to 14 hour fast. Maybe I can only handle it to eight to 10 hour fast. The fasting, regardless of what you do, is going to be beneficial, gives your body a break. The other thing though, I know that studies have shown that you don't start going into ketosis before you get into the 12-hour state. 
I don't know what your comment is going to be I was just going to say, it's cool that you mentioned that actually the approach that I take today, my approach on fasting has changed dramatically over the past few years. And actually what I do today, where I'm at now is, I mean, every single day I measure my autonomic nervous system function with my biostrap. I have it on right now. And so from there I can determine, you know, given my HRV, my resting heart rate, SpO2, my sleep, I know whether I wake up in a more sympathetic or parasympathetic, whether or not I'm ready for the day. And from there, I actually make decisions about fasting and how long I'm going to fast. And in addition, I measure my ketones. So I know that once my ACEs are high enough, I use a device called, oh man, what is it called? I can't forget what it's called, (laughs) but I'll link to it in the show notes. But I use this device to determine whether or not I'm in a true ketogenic state because I do like to support the metabolic flexibility. I mean, from the intermittent metabolic switching, right? Switching from a fed state and using glucose primarily as a fuel source to the fasted state using ketones. And from that switch is where we derive the major benefits of fasting, like neuroplasticity, synaptogenesis, neurogenesis, all the wonderful influences that it has in the gut microbiome and such. But I've also learned that for women, for men and women, there are big differences when it comes to fasting. And I was always all about the evolutionary perspective and, and maintaining in the modern day, somewhat of an evolutionarily consistent lifestyle. So obviously fasting is a big part of our history as a species because we are nomadic, right? And we chase large animals and such, but women actually were more prone to foraging, right? They weren't going out and hunting these creatures and spending so many days in, you know, fasted and, and hunting, and they actually had a more consistent access to food. And so if you look at it from an evolutionary perspective, originally I thought, hey, we were all nomadic. We were a tribe. We all went periods and days without eating, but women actually had greater access to, to foods like, you know, berries, nuts, seeds, that kind of thing. So yeah, you know, I used to recommend it to women all the time, but in fact, most of these studies on fasting are done on men or post-menopausal women who obviously respond very differently to, to young women. And I've seen a number of young women that I know personally that I've worked with who will take up fasting because they think it's healthy. And oh my God, they have just a plethora of health issues that arise. And especially, oh my God, if you consider women who are taking birth control and it just becomes a whole, whole crazy, crazy mess. So I love that you mentioned the difference there. I made that distinction for the people tuning in because I do have a lot of young listeners. The next thing that I wanted to ask you is about sunlight and vitamin D. And I wanted to ask you, what approach do you recommend for people because sunlight is important and we can discuss maybe circadian rhythms and circadian biology, but how can we get a healthy dose of sunlight without increasing our risk of you know, certain cancers? What's a good balance for you? What approach that you take? I know it's a loaded question, but where can we begin? Uh, the reason I'm laughing is because it's actually not a loaded question, but the reason I'm laughing is, and I don't know if you know this, so I've done commentaries and editorials for various outlets and magazines, everything from Vogue to GQ to Allure to all kinds in the world of functional and aesthetic medicine. And, and also I'm a national speaker and educator on all of that stuff. So I find it interesting because that was one of the topics that I did cover. And I know a lot of people are not going to like to hear this, but it's a fact, is that as much as people think, oh, you only need 10 minutes of sunlight exposure and that gives you enough vitamin D3 and you don't need to take a supplement. And I find that is actually a very false statement because I have looked at people's actual vitamin D3 levels for years that keep swearing to me, oh, we get enough sun and all that. And some of them that uh, go bask in the sun, especially in South Florida. 
And all they end up getting is not a bump in their D3 level, but instead a bump in their skin cancer risk. Okay. So one of the issues that I have with that is I tell people, number one, you need good sunblock that protects you against UVA, UVB. So you prevent premature aging, precancerous lesions, melanoma, and all that bad stuff. That's number one. Number two, sunlight, I think is important for your circadian rhythm, but not for your skin health. Okay. So it's kind of like a catch-22, but there's a difference because you know, too, from internal indoor lights and the LED, you're still getting some kind of light radiation to your skin, and that's not healthy. Yeah, but it won't suffice. It's nothing compared to the sun. Absolutely. No, no. But my whole point is that you still need protection indoors with sun protection. That's my whole point is people think that they only need to wear sunblock when they're outdoors. You should be wearing sunblock indoors. Okay. That artificial light is harmful to your skin. People don't think, oh, it's artificial light. No, that's not true. That is harmful to your skin. So you should be wearing sunblock indoors and outdoors. And that is a big pet peeve of a lot with my patients. You still do need vitamin D supplementation because I find a lot of people are not getting enough of it in their nutrient and diet, right? And as much as that our normal range on lab work is 30, you really in the functional medicine world, your goal is 60, okay, on blood tests. Okay. You don't want to go above 100 so you don't affect your functions for your renal functions, but you do want to be at the 60 level to have enough vitamin D3. And we know that vitamin D3 supports what your immune system supports fighting cancer, protection against cancer. Right. There's not enough studies that used to support that. And now more studies are coming out and showing that. Okay. So this is the reason, just like when we also talk about in the functional medicine world with vitamin C and it's anti-cancer and it's not, it's all about dosages, which people don't understand. This is the reason somebody says to you, oh, I I took 500 milligrams of vitamin C or I took it IV. The dose is very key and people do not understand even some practitioners that are out there pushing or giving that to patients. You have to understand how a lot of this works. The studies that were done on vitamin C for treating cancer or fighting cancer, which is not FDA approved. And mind you, a lot of this stuff is all off-label. Okay. But the reason being is because certain dose at a certain level, when you give vitamin C IV, you convert into hydrogen peroxide, which becomes what? It kills off the cancer cells. Okay. So that's where that comes in. Now, vitamin D3, that's something that you're not going to get enough from the sun unless you're trying to bask in the sun. Even then, I haven't seen anybody increase their D3 levels just by exposure to the sun. The sun is definitely very important for your circadian rhythm. That is definitely a key because it's always been studied and shown that people who live in dark rooms or in darkness, they're very depressed. Their anxiety level is higher. They have more suicidal ideation. Their entire circadian rhythm is off. They have a lot of insomnia issues which throws your whole body into a whole cortisol catch-22 where everything is shooting sky high, and this causes a whole negative impact on your body, okay? So yes, you need sunlight exposure, but you still need sun protection, and you still need vitamin D3 supplementation for your skin, for your brain health, okay? Even for your gut health, colon protection, cancer protection. So there are a lot of benefits and need for a proper level of your D3. Right. And oftentimes the deficiency in D3 can be the result of a magnesium deficiency, right? Because magnesium is required to activate that vitamin D as well. And I know vitamin K2 plays an important role. So there's a bunch of supplements now that are like a combination of D3, magnesium, K2. Personally, I take magnesium L3-inates, highly bioavailable for the brain, from a brand called Magtine. And it actually has a little tiny bit of vitamin D3 in there, which is nice. I mean, I get more than enough sun, but it's a little like microdose. I wanted to ask you, 
about, or actually before I ask you, I wanted to mention something. I think the biggest thing about the circadian health and biology and such is, is consistency, right? Because taking it back again to the evolutionary perspective, we are designed to wake up with the sun and go to sleep once the sun goes down. And that's a very consistent process. We didn't have alarms. We didn't have phones and all kinds of LED lights out and about. We didn't wake up, go to the restroom, turn the lights on, turn them back off, go back to sleep. So we're designed to have that consistency. And so when we make an effort to develop good circadian biology, we're again, coming back to that evolutionarily consistent lifestyle, what makes sense to the body, what our body really knows best, not what's convenient. And I wanted to ask you about your take on melanin, because I know that melanin is important for protecting your skin from these harmful UV rays. And from what I understand, you actually produce more melanin when your eyes receive sunlight. Are you familiar with the role of melanin? Because there's some studies yes, now that show like that's... using sunglasses is harmful because it cuts off the production of melanin, which is like a natural sunscreen that you produce in your skin. So what's your take? So melanin is a protective. You're absolutely correct. And this is the reason too, it's kind of interesting because if you're familiar with peptide therapies, they came out with certain peptides that actually increase and stimulate but what ends up happening, it increases your melanocytes in order to stimulate production of the melanin. So the melanin does have protective benefits for you. And yes, it has to do with your circadian rhythm as well. But the problem with the peptides that I hadn't found is that people were overproducing melanocytes, which are then overproducing melanin, which for them, they thought it was beneficial because they love the suntan look, right? Or their right. look super bronze. Yeah, so like melanin said, gives you that, that natural sort of bronzing effect. Correct, which is what actually shields the skin. This is the reason. But that is not to say that you're going to be cancer-free because just like if we look at the different Fitzpatrick skin types with people that are Fitzpatrick 1 to 2, super fair, and then you start going to 3, 4, 5, and 6, and more olive and darker skin, those people are not immune to skin cancer just because they have a lot right. more melanocytes and melanin. It just may give them some protection, but it's not going to be 100% cancer-free. And this is right. something that we tend to see because people assume, oh, I'm olive skin or I'm darker skin that I have super protection. I don't need to do sunblock. And I emphasize to everyone. And because I'm also a Mediterranean background, so I'm olive skin, I don't go out without sunblock, okay? Right. I actually wear sunblock indoors, outdoors, anywhere I go. Do not expose myself to the sun other than natural sunlight. I don't go bask in the sun. I don't don't overshield myself from the sun, but I do use in moderation and protection to prevent skin cancer because we're all predisposed to any kind of skin cancer. We're all predisposed to any cancer. Let's put it this way. Yeah, we all, all have us, cancer cells correct. all they're the time. They're all dormant. Yeah, yeah, they're all dormant. So we have and dormant it's a cancer cells. Right. Correct. And it has to do with DNA mutations or it has to do any factors that actually activate our dormant cancer cells or actually cause DNA harm or damage. This is the reason, too, when we get into, which is a whole other topic, which I know maybe for another time, is the NAD+, not NAC, but NAD+, because it is known for DNA repair. But once again, that we also have to take a look at who's the right candidate, because there is conflicting literature as to does it wake up cancer cells, does it protect, does it increase your T cells, what helper cells, killer cells, and so forth. And that's a whole other pathophysiology conversation that we can have. So right. this is the reason, yes, everything within moderation. Yes, you need the sunlight for the melanin production, but you also don't want to overproduce melanin. You don't want to overproduce melanocytes. The other right. thing too, speaking of which with your circadian rhythm, which is something that a lot of people don't realize too, is we have also melatonin, which is for sleep, correct? 
Now, people that are deficient in melatonin end up suffering from a lot of insomnia issues, right? Now, I know some people will say, well, I can't take melatonin. I don't need melatonin. Well, as you age, your melatonin does decrease, okay? Right. So this is the reason where supplementation, whether it's from a natural food source, whether it's from a pure organic non-GMO supplement, dietary source, whatever it is, you do need to take a look at that. And this is where, once again, the functional medicine aspect comes in because you can check and look at all those levels in people and see what's affecting their hormone production, see what they're deficient in, just like you mentioned with magnesium. Magnesium is not just necessary for muscle relaxation and proper nutrition balance. It's also important for the absorption, just you said, for your vitamin D, okay? There's different types of magnesium, as we know, too. And just as you mentioned, the one that crosses the blood-brain barrier, which is why, too, when I have patients that come in with chronic migraines, even myself, I used to be a chronic migraine sufferer. And unfortunately, people will say, oh, just take some magnesium. Well, there's magnesium that's for GI, gastrointestinal. There's magnesium for brain health. There's magnesium for muscle relaxation. So you just have to know. And unfortunately, when people are told to take a supplement, they're not told which specific supplement. So one of the things that I do in my practice I actually, when I make a recommendation, I tell my patients and I give them a specific brand and product because Mm -hmm. I don't expect them to know and understand or go do the research because if they do, they're not going to be compliant. They're just not going to do it. Right. Absolutely. And I actually did, I went in depth on the topic of circadian biology, circadian rhythms, melatonin and cortisol production and how to master that cycle with a specialist. His name is Dr. Jay Corsandi. He's a sleep expert. It's actually episode 19 of my podcast for those of you tuning in who want to learn more. And my last question for you, because I know we're, we're completely out of time today. Just <laughs> if you could maybe give a super simple, quick answer. What about omega-6 and polyunsaturated fatty acid? What about these omega-6 foods in the diet? How does that play a role? So this was kind of interesting. So years ago, <laughs> yeah. well, skin health and also well, over, just overall, overall yeah, cardi- yeah, yeah. Sure, cardiac sure. health, okay? Because one of the problems is that everyone used to take the omega-3, 6, and 9, but the problem is that the ratio was never proper. And when you overdo the 6 and 9, you're actually increasing risk of heart disease, okay? from a They're skin still health, essential. They're still essential in the diet, correct. correct? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. But you need the proper balance and ratio. And this right. was the problem when people were taking supplements the supplementation was not the proper ratio. And this is the reason then when people started poo-pooing the omega vitamin supplements, because they were seeing that there was not decreasing risk of cardiac or heart disease. It was not helping in any possible way because the ratio of the six to nine was a lot higher than three, where they found and saw that your real benefit comes from the omega three, the six and nine, you only need in small doses for your proper ratio balance, as opposed to where the ratio was the reverse, where it was three was the lowest and your six and nine were more. This is where you have to be careful. Now your six and nine, if you're eating a proper balanced diet, you should be getting enough of that. You don't need to supplement six and nine. That's what I tell people. And most Western diets are rich in six and nine. Correct. Absolutely. So this is the reason I tell people, listen, you don't need an omega-3, 6, and 9 supplement. If you need anything, take an omega-3. Okay. When it comes to heart health, that's a whole different world as well, because once again, you still need your omega-3. You're getting your 6 and 9 from diet. One of the other things that I find for cardiac health that's very beneficial is the allicin, which comes from garlic and the garlinase, which we can talk about that in a whole nother time as well as a natural supplement. It helps not just with cardiac and atherosclerosis. It also helps with as far as blood pressure. Okay. But has so many other benefits, believe it or not. Yeah. Well, I know that, that we're, we're completely out of time. And wow, Aza, what an amazing, amazing opportunity to have you on the show. I know you're super busy, always traveling. And <laughs> for all the right reasons, I mean, you're helping and reaching so many people. 
I would love to have you on for a part two. Maybe we can take some more time and, and really go in depth. I'm sure my audience would really appreciate it. And so where can people find you if they want to learn more, if they want to work with you? So my social media Instagram is AzzaAzzaMD, beauty, B-E-A-U-T-Y. And I have three practice locations, one in Boca Raton, Florida, one in Chicago, and one in Newport Beach, California. Amazing. So if people reach out to me through the social media as well, there's if you link into contact, there's my email and contact number. So you can always shoot me, DM me a message, and I'm happy to reach out, respond. And then I can always get one of my office assistants to help schedule something. And I'm also always available to help people just kind of on their journey, even to to just give them and share with them certain information and so forth. And even if they don't come into the office. So I always love helping others. Wonderful. What an honor to have you. Thank you so much. I'll make sure to link to all your contact info in the show notes and we'll see you back on the show very, very soon. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. So that's all for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in today. For all of the show notes, including clickable links to anything and everything that we discussed today, everything from discount codes to videos to research articles, books, tips, tricks, techniques, and of course, to learn more about the guest on today's episode, all you have to do is head to my website, andresprechel.com. That's A-N-D-R-E-S-P-R-E-S-C-H-E-L.com and go to podcasts. You can also leave your feedback, questions, and suggestions for future episodes, future guests, so on and so forth. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll see you on the next one. Have a lovely rest of your day.